question what in the modes of nature says and he says what it is Arjuna when obligatory work is performed because it should be done while abandoning attachment for it and its fruit such renunciation renunciation is subject and then in the purport the explanation you say that um, spiritual renunciation does not involve negation of activity it involves full commitment to activity devoid of any egocentric attitude resulting from thinking oneself the doer or from personal attachment to the action itself. Renunciation belongs to the inner world, the consciousness behind action. It is freedom from self-centeredness and not freedom from work. So from thinking about this, and I guess it's my relationship to service and renunciation, Sometimes I, um, I advise devotees that they shouldn't ask the guru for advice if they're not willing to follow the instruction. Mm-hmm. Or if they follow the instruction, then they have to take full responsibility for the result. So anyway, this came out of my thoughts about what it means to really be a surrendered devotee in terms of what you can actually do. Because uh, when I was a new devotee, I didn't have the word sustainability in my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. But now I know that I think of the long term, how to do something sustainably for the long haul. So anyway, this is all kind of, it's not really a, it's not really a, a doubt or a question, but it just asks what you think of that advice in terms of you know, renunciation and um, doing obligatory work. I know, you know, the whole idea of duty, what is duty, is a big topic that almost goes against the Western culture. You know, people used to think of duty in terms of an ocean. Now, then we have duties for our household, or we have duties living in an ashram. Yeah, I'm not sure I understand where you're, yeah, well, what you're looking for there. I, I, don't, I don't follow. Okay. It's just, I guess... For, for a devotee, if there, it was all centered, I had that thought about the advice that I give, I guess I'll just focus on that. So, someone says they have, a, they have a, a quandary, and they may want some advice from the guru. And I say, well, don't ask for advice if you're not willing to take the, the answer. Because sometimes people want to hear what they want to hear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they get advice and they don't do it. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to know, is that a good kind of advice to give someone? And then I say, and if you do follow the instruction of the guru, you have to be responsible for the results in terms of, because sometimes people, in the name of following the guru, they follow, and then there's something that doesn't go right, and then they blame the guru. Yeah, well, I think it's, you give good advice in that regard, but it, it, it depends a little bit on what what the subject is. So, um, um, obviously not all questions um, are about what action to do, but philosophical questions and so forth. And um, often, uh, I guess, maybe this is what you refer to more, questions that are about action are not necessarily... um, um, those that um, that foster an, an absolute answer from Scripture, um, and then there may be those that 
that do. Um, so there would be a differentiation there. In other words, if someone asks some action about an action with regard to bhakti, hmm, does this constitute bhakti if in, uh, you know, like say I ask a question about the action uh, regarding uh, uh, Seva Puja of the Archa Vigraha, hmm? how to do this or how to do that, you know, I give it an answer according to the scriptures. Um, so there may be questions about actions about how to proceed that are directly related to bhakti, um, but it seems like the kind of questions you're asking about more are questions that aren't necessarily directly related to bhakti, but whether I should get married or whether I should move here or I should not move there or um, so forth. Hmm? And um, so that's uh, kind of an answer that the, the scripture is not going to provide a, an answer for, and it could be answered one way or another. And, um, and if you're going to ask me, I'm going to draw on my experience and weigh things out and answer the way you know I would do it if I was in your position. And when I do do that, I make it clear, but you know it could be done differently, and it's up to you, and so on and so forth. Um, um, but um, it, it is a little frustrating, uh, I guess, on my part when people do ask me those questions, and I do take the time to think about it and offer some uh, kind of sagely wisdom, you know. Of, uh, Based on my experience and so forth, and then they don't do it, and um, yeah. So if you do want to ask me about uh, such things, then um, um, I don't know. You know, I don't want to put an absolute there, but but you know, it, it, it's. Uh, um, I mean, I have experience of offering such advice on many occasions and not being followed and, and seeing that the result is not very good. So, uh, yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I would think that it's fairly good advice that if you want to ask such questions of somebody in my position and, and take their time, and if they're um, kind enough to spend time on on such issues, which which is fair enough, um, if we have that kind of relationship, then um, should be prepared to follow it. I think yeah. would be good. And then, yeah, the second part of it is, and because it's brought up, brought up in the beginning, that it, you know, it's not necessarily that advice that's given. Um, and followed it doesn't bring a desired result is necessarily wrong either. Um, we can get opposite results of what we might might expect that might be might be good for us as well. So I mean, it's the whole realm of uh, the relative, if if you will. And so, um, it's not. Um, Answering those questions, giving advice along those lines, is not like explaining the, the teaching and, uh, and so forth. So, 
um, I think we, you know, we, we, we try to get the best advice and, and reason about it ourselves and go forward and, and if, if, you know, and my answer is always going to be to such questions, um, such that, you know, with consideration of what will be best for your bhakti in all of this, um, you know, so you try to put a, an absolute in, into it, if you, if you will, kind of like center it, and so forth. And and I think that the devotees of us should be looking for that kind of an answer. Hmm? Um, and um, and if they follow, it should be good for their bhakti, which should be, which would be good. It might not be, but it might play out differently materially. It still might be good for their for their bhakti. So it's. Uh, I think in general, it's you know your 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 take on it and way of answering is is good. I don't know what that has to do with renunciation and say per se, but <laughs> yeah, well, just because that there's a tendency to want to be a surrendered devotee, and sometimes it's beyond your adhikari. You many of us experience that. Well, we'll just do whatever Mars wants, and then we find out that we really can't do that. Well, Marsh doesn't want that. <laughs> so that's important to take into consideration. But, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, you have to come somewhere between stepping on the gas and stepping on the brake. Because <laughs> either one can be a problem unto itself. So, hmm. what else? Another question? Yes. Um, I've been. Meditating on this idea of a disciple being a limb of the guru's body. Mm-hmm. I asked you a question about that this week. Um, and just thinking how like the guru empowers the disciple to do something, and then if we do it and we do it in the spirit of offering it to the guru, then that empowers the guru his mission because he can't do everything and be everywhere so he has these limbs that can, can help him. So I was just wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about that metaphor of being because it's not just being the limb we're all limbs of so if there's like this this, this idea of it being a collective group of limbs working together as disciples and, and having that that spirit of, I guess it's Guru Bhakti, that idea of putting, really putting the Guru in the center and really all be, being focused in our service to help him with his mission and, and then helping each other to help each other to do their services to empower him. And, uh, yeah, I think that Prabhupada was very uh, successful in, in, in that. Um, and uh, Puja Patrita Marsh once remarked that it was remarkable to see so many disciples so um, committed. Um, I think there are two, uh, in one sense, standards of commitment or identification with uh, Guru Seva. And one is that I chant and I read and I hear and I do bhakti, which he teaches about and so forth. The other is that that at the same time, I recognize that he has, if this may be the case, and it does tend to be the case in our party bar, which is off 
this has such an emphasis on outreaching to the public and, and so on and so forth. I mean, if your guru is just living in a holy place and, you know, in a bhajan kutir, and, and then he doesn't really need any um, service, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are a number of lineages, I suppose, um, like that. And so the emphasis is just on following the bhakti and and so forth, and and that in it kind of in itself uh, um, it, well, I guess I would say that that guru bhakti is 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 an anga in that case of the angi of Krishna bhakti. You know, there's the reverse where the the guru bhakti becomes the angi the body and Krishna Bhakti becomes the Anga. And there's different ways to talk about that. And I think in, in some respects that Prabhupada was successful in in a, in a broad sense of converting that kind of equation. Hmm? And everyone was uh, preoccupied with, or for the most part, we were preoccupied with a certain level of practice that he mandated and so forth. And... Um, and at, and at the same time, very occupied with the very many different types of service that um, could be uh, offered, assistance that could be offered to the outreach that he was doing. So everybody was pretty much in, in, in involved in that, and in, in that sense, they. That was sometimes even at the cost of their basic standard of, of of Krishna bhakti, which could have been out of balance, or sometimes it may even been appropriate and worked out fine and so forth. But there, but again, Puja Patrita's remark: you don't find many gurus that have so many, so many committed, uh, you know, students to the mission. Uh, usually, a few, something like that. Um, so, it 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 is certainly if it's it's fortunate I think if you have a teacher who has that kind of a possibility which affords you a lot of different um, engagements if you will to end up and thereby opportunities to be connected with what the guru is thinking about doing and be looked at and seen as as such as a limb which means that he's going to want to take care of you on another level besides just making sure you get the right siddhanta and he sets a good example. Um, and so his natural th- thinking about such disciples is going to extend to their well-being in, in all respects as one would think about one's own limbs, one's own arms and legs and so forth if they weren't functioning or if the stomach was hungry, you know, something like that. Um, and um, yeah, I think you, I think you probably saw that in uh, Bhakti Siddhanta's mission as well. Um, he was uh, um, able to do that. So um, it's yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's a in our party bar. It's more characteristic that you have that opportunity. 
because it is involved in uh, the Bhaktivinoda Parabra, is the preaching sector of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. You know, there's just no comparison. They just have it in their, in their, in their genes, so to speak, in their bhakti genes. Um, and this, you know, coming through Bhaktivinoda, I believe, as I've said from the from the Nityananda. So, Outreach. He comes in that 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 line and far-reaching canvassing and so forth of Nityananda and his associates. Even though Bhaktivinoda is coming through Janava and the Madhurya Ras dispensation within the uh, Nityananda Paribara, still he defers to them often in uh, the, the prior, the previous sector, and he imbibes the spirit of outreach. Um, I mean, his idea is tolerance. In of the tree extends to um, expression of compassion to for others and reaching out to them and so on and so forth. It's a very extended idea of uh, of tolerance. Right? Um, they kind of like they're two different words, you know, tolerance and compassion. But he puts them together with the analogy, extending the analogy of the tree, you know, so. If you put it down, it provides shade while you're doing so, and something like that. Um, so it's characteristic of our part, but it's, it's really characteristic of of bhakti in a sense that, um, as uh, Baldev describes, Baldevadibhusan in his commentary, the twelfth chapter, where there's many nice statements about what the, what bhakti, uh, what the characteristics of a devotee, compassion is brought up, can't tolerate the suffering. Of others and so forth. So you can't tolerate the suffering of something others. I think it translates into doing something about the sufferings of others. Otherwise, you can tolerate it. Mm-hmm. So, so our particular lineage coming from Bhakti Vinod, it's it's filled with this 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 kind of um, uh, concern. Mm-hmm. And so, it uh, the various missions within it, uh, as such, do provide an opportunity to be involved on another level with the guru in guru seva if you will to assist him or her in in his mission to uh, you know fulfill the ambitions of Prabhupada for example which were huge the ambitions of Sridhar Marsh probably to see it wide and Sridhar Marsh to make sure it was on course in the context of being wide something like that um, and didn't go beyond the parameters of what it is in the name of spreading it he was kind of a, I have a had a protective type of uh, role, if you will, um, in that regard, as it as it came down to us through uh, a succession, and um, so yeah, it's very certainly it's very enthusing. Uh, we, we we want to in, in uh, it's a you know it's like we take the Gita Bodhayantas Parasparam Tushanti Cha so if you want Tushyanti or Ramanti, if you want uh, Sambandha Rupa or Kama Rupa Bhakti, then Bodhayantas Parasparam, then there's some mutual enlightening. The implication would be, we saw when we, in our reading recently, the conclusion of um, uh, Muktacharit, Raghunathas Goswami says, you know, may I always, would somebody in effect live in the company of Krishnadas Kaviraj who made me write this, by, by whose strength, I think he said, I was able to write this. And 
Krishna's Kavir is a disciple of, of, of Raghunathas Goswami, according to his own writing at the end of Chaitanya Charitamrita. He, he pays his respects to them all, you know, Rupa Raghunath, this one, Hasvarup, and so on and so forth, as he does throughout the book. But at the end of the book, he says, he refers to Raghunath Das Goswami, and my guru, Raghunath Das Goswami. Um, so, this is the kind of uh, example of how the disciple was so um, inspiring to the disciples, say, this kind of mutual enlightenment in, in, with regard to a subject that has no end, right? That one is, in the language of Sri always a student in regard to. Hmm? So, um, um, yeah, that's uh, very um, uh, desirable. And uh, you look, you know, there's a lot of, um, obviously, uh, glorification of Prabhupada and, the, and, uh, and um, um, appropriately so, in terms of his accomplishments and so on and so forth. But it's interesting how that sometimes results in a focus on Prabhupada, so to speak, that dismisses um, the many students of his who made him popular, in a sense, by their participation and the measure of their participation. And, you know, it's it kind of it's kind of both ways. He did it, they did it, you know. He did it with them, you know. It found, fell on fertile soil, when it uh, fell on their hearts and they picked it up and did something with it um, that, and he got traction for what he wanted to do in a way that he didn't get before, for example, coming to America when he was trying to do it in, in India. Hmm? People knew him, but nobody, you know, took him too, too seriously, apparently, uh, comparatively. And, um, and some of it we, we did, Ameri you know, it began in America and so forth. And then around the world, and you know the, the the blood that they shed for his disciples for making that all happen, sweat and tears and so forth was uh, was considerable. And to you know put a focus on Prabhupada and then dismiss all of them, you know, kind of like this. I'm just coming to give an example. It's kind of this Ritvik or quasi Ritvik kind of idea that that puts him in a position that that or in a light casts him in a light that that casts his students in a light that he himself didn't look at them in and um, um, of course if they don't follow any DB you know it's a, it's, a, it's another thing but um, uh, but yeah it was a, a collective affair I mean he was the commander but you you know there's no meaning to be a general without an army. If if the general says, yeah, charge, and everybody says, mm, you sure we should? Is it the right time? Maybe we should go, you know, then, you know, it's not going to work. And so they went forward uh, with, the, with the charge, and so um, it was uh, successful. So that's, uh, yeah, uh, he looked at them as his various limbs, I would say, and it is kind of an example, typically the example of, uh, you could say, of uh, Guru Bhakti is in a more classical sense, because this is kind of an aberration in, in, in one sense. In another sense, it's not. I mean, this kind of far-reaching outreach and opening centers everywhere. They, Nityananda Prabhu's people were doing that in Bengal. 
their emphasis was on small centers, but everywhere they were opening opening centers and distributing prasadam. And they didn't. Uh, it said that uh, he was a great scholar, but he didn't have time to write anything. Uh, for example, the uh, um, Udarandatta, who was with, like the right hand of Nityananda Prabhu in Bengal. They they say that uh, he, he, it was written about him that he was as as learned as Raghunath Bhatta Goswami, but like him, had no time to write anything. Raghunath Bhatta Goswami was engaged in cooking in the Radha Govinda temple established by Rupa Goswami, and his offerings were far exceeded what he mentally were far exceeded whatever he could prepare physically. He was quite absorbed in that. He used to recite the Bhagavatam too for Mahaprabhu and other associates in five different tunes, it said. Uh, but uh, he is a kind of a, a one of the, he's one of the six Goswamis. He can't be slighted in any way. But we have no literary contribution from him. I've been to the, oh, his uh, a, a, a temple where his, um, um, there's a, a lineage coming from him, visited with some of the devotees there. But he's a kind of an under, uh, you know, stated uh, figure amongst the six Goswamis. But he was one of the six Goswamis. <laughs> well, that's uh, pretty big. There's a little, you know, story about him there, and, and related nicely in Chaitanya Charitamrita. I think he was the what the son of uh, was it uh, Tapan Mishra? I believe so, Brahman and so forth, and. Uh, he came to meet Mahaprabhu in Puri, and uh, he was uh, traveling with a with a Ram Bhakta, who was well known for his absorption in Ram Nam, and Raghunath Das was trying to uh, assist him, but uh, because I think Raghunath Das was from a Brahmin family, and this Ram Bhakta wasn't. The Ram Bhakta was making uh, trying to serve Raghunath Das, Raghunath Bhatta Goswami. But when they got to Puri and uh, Raghunath Bhatta had the darshan of Mahaprabhu who called for him, he questioned him, why are you called for me and not this Ram Bhakta who's always chanting Ram Nam? Mahaprabhu said, oh, he's, he, he, he wants, he's chanting Ram Nam for, for Brahma Sayuja. I, that, that kind of Ram Nam is not attractive to me. Uh, he's, he only wants that. Um, so, Anyway, this, there's not much said about him, and he didn't write any books, is the main point. He said he didn't have time. He was too active. Cook. <laughs> uh, so, uh, this man, um, Udarandatta has been compared like, like that. He's one example. Followers of Nityananda, you know, wide-reaching dispensation throughout Bengal, very active, and active in a way that included, the, as I've said before, the, the material welfare of the constituents as, as well as their spiritual welfare. Um, so, Krishna Nam Jive Doi Sarva Dharma Saha is the essence of Dharma. Jive Doi Krishna Nam Sarva Dharma Saha. Uh, chanting Krishna Nam and Jivadoya, kindness to other living beings. And however a Vaishnava, I think we discussed this a couple of nights, few nights back, however a Vaishnava 
feels in, inspired to show kindness to another jiva, that's the great fortune of the jiva. And typically he's not or she's not engaged in, in welfare work per se, but they might be. Hmm? And it no longer becomes welfare work. Hmm? It becomes the, the, the kindness, the generosity, the compassion of the Vaishnava that, that, that is wholesome and full in that it, it, you can't divorce whatever material well-being is part of their concern for their constituents from their spiritual well-being for them. One follows, it's, if, it, if, it's, if, it, if it's there, such a thing, in the context of, of, of the other. It's a, kind of a shadow of the other. Um, and when it extends to the point where, you know, for example, uh, the guru's serving the disciple, paying, paying, paying her rent, <laughs> you know, hospital bills or something like that. Uh, it might look kind of weird, but but it's it's an instance of seeing them as a limb of themselves, and uh, that's very uh, very beautiful. So it becomes this very uh, powerful uh, spiritual. Um, Interconnected, as you put it, kind of a um, of a of a group, a welfare state. Puja Pachidamaraj once described Goloka Vrindavan as a supreme welfare state. Sarup Shakti, making up for the lacking in the Tatasta Shakti. You know, it has a lacking. It has a capacity to, you know, be in a condition that's. Uh, without bhakti, under the influence of the material shakti. Of course, once it comes under the shakti's influence, it doesn't, but that influence itself is kind of a, a welfare. It compensates for a tendency in the jiva and over and overrides it, so to speak, so that it's it's no longer, you know, um, within the realm of its uh, possibility or potential to be, to suffer under the influence of the, of the Maya Shakti, so it's um, it's uh, it's uh, you know, welfare is helping underprivileged people, you know, something like that, disadvantaged people, uh, something to that effect. So we're as atmas, we're disadvantaged in a, in, in a sense. You know, there's something about us that um, that uh, uh, is different. Then the Sarup Shakti, it, we're Chit Shakti also, but we're prone to a condition of uh, uh, under the, that uh, uh, of being under the influence of, of the Maya Shakti. So, so she makes up for that, Sarup Shakti, supreme welfare state. But the beautiful thing about it, of course, it's it's as a welfare state, as a socialistic kind of a state in which Krishna is the is the center. Um, that um, uh, uh, social welfare is not at the cost of individuality. But typically, socialism is at the cost of individuality. Capitalism um, is uh, at the cost of of the group, so to speak. Yeah, so, in socialism, you get the group, right? Mm-hmm. The group is thought of. Everyone is thought of. Mm-hmm. But everyone's individuality is tends to be. Obscured. Hmm? I was talking with Guru Nishta about this. He's from Finland. He was like, 
his mind was, as I recall, was a little blown by the freedom that Americans had to choose, you know, how to paint their house. Mm-hmm. Because there's only like a few ways you can paint your house, apparently. <laughs> In Finland, it's to conform, you know. It's, it had more emphasis on the social welfare. Uh, so, so there's a loss of individuality to some extent in the socialist perspective, and then social individuality is gained and honored and you know glorified in capitalism, but it's the, at the cost of the group because you have to compete with others to to attain it, you have to put others down. Hmm? So it's like one way or the other. You want the group, but you don't want to lose your individuality. You want your individuality, but you don't want it to be at the cost of of the group of friends. Hmm? So, despite the fact that Goloka is a welfare state, it's not at the cost of one's individuality. Every 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 devotee there is is uh, unique, different, uh, serving. The oneness they're all serving under the influence of Srupshakti that exists only for the pleasure of Krishna. The possibility of the individuality in that regard is retained because he is Rasaraj, so he has unlimited desires, uh, you know, that he can ways in which he can accept uh, accept service. There's there's no there's no limit to that. That's who he is. Hmm? So, it's very beautiful harmonizing of the two, you know, polar opposites of, of sorts. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it was nice to have such a um, such a group uh, interconnected, and it's only possible to kind of hold the circumference together if it's focused on the center, right? Otherwise, it diffuses. So the center holds it all together, and um, yeah, and we do. You know, we we do have something to do. In the world, when we have written our in our mission, we have really nice projects like Sarva. Here we are; it's such a nice, nice project. And uh, and um, the energy that we put as households into making our house and so on, and so we can it could go on in conjunction with. I mean, that's what you try to do anyway. Everybody tries to build a little community for themselves, you know, just so to speak, that they can thrive within and so forth. So here's and there's there's power, extra power. You know, to do that in a way that will be really helpful for your uh, spiritual uh, progress, right? There's a lot of support here for that. I mean, just you know, take I come here for example. What you know, six, twelve weeks a year, so it's three months a year. You could be here and close and and so forth. Uh, that I mean, that would. It would have been pretty important to me if you know there was somewhere that probably was going to be six months of the year, or what is it, three months of the year, and, and I could be there, you know, and um, and you know, still have whatever kind of life, you know, family, whatever, and so forth. All that can go on as well. So it's we try to, you know, we're trying to. That's what we're trying to do here, in particular, amongst the different projects that we have. If you want a pilgrimage, go to Madhavan. That's quite. Quite good for that, for example. So, those are some thoughts on that. Does that help? Yeah. yeah. Okay. What else? Yes. Um, you just said about outreaching to the public. And I was at Krishna Das's house today. And today's Friday. 
which means in Asheville there is a massive drum circle. And I can't recall if we talked about this before. And if we have, I apologize how we went out there and the guy that was playing the harmonium was getting just tired of singing and playing. And so I leaned over and put a harmony in his ear and he's like, oh, Hare Krishna, and he hands me the microphone. And so I let it go. You mean somebody was playing drums and drum, somebody was playing harmonium in the drum circle? We were across the street. There's, there's a park and streets all around in the park. Yeah, you were doing harmonium across the street. Yeah. Well, I'm not really sure exactly what happened because all of a sudden the police showed up and told us to shut it down because we literally blocked the street off. Mm-hmm. Is it okay for us to jump in on that and kind of help cultivate more people? Sure. Yeah, sure. Sounds like you did a good job. It was awesome. <laughs> it was so awesome. Yeah. Sure. There may be ways to do it that are well thought out, and some ways that are not as well thought out. That will uh, um, bring you want to bring regard to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Prabhupada stopped us from doing Harinam and Hitsankirtan in Bombay once because people weren't respecting the Harinam. So um, there may be ways to do it that uh, bring more regard to it and. That uh, it's worth thinking about, but 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 it's a uh, you know singing in the streets is a nice thing. We were kind of like in front of the bank, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that was what we were in front of. And there were people coming by, and Das, for those of you who know, was dancing and passing out books and doing his thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I don't know how we blocked the whole street off. That's still. Yeah. That'd be a Christian thing, because I know I'm not that good of a singer. But I did it. That's nice. Yeah. Do you do that every Friday? I do it every Friday. But oh. I told them that I can't join them again until after you leave. Next Friday, are, are we in it going somewhere? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the last Friday, then I'll be here. Yes. Oh. Well, I won't get a chance to visit the Hari Noms then. We'll take some video and Okay. Okay, sounds good. What else? Yes? We were speaking the other day about cultural aspects of um, devotional service, bodies wearing dhotis, sari, tilak. You know, I think the hand was about the hand. One of the reasons for the finger <laughs> sticking out of the hole, right, and this finger, is because it then en- enables you to hold on to the bag. It's very practical. Hold on to the bag and you chant with these things. <laughs> so why, why isn't it supposed to touch your beads? Because it's sticking out of the bag. <laughs> and your bed and your beads are supposed to be in the bag. Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> in, the, in the context of that discussion, um, we started speaking about kirtans and contrasting it with um, music, religious music, in the mode of goodness or passion. Oh, that was the other day, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, when you were describing kirtan and it being a call and response, you described it as um, uh, moving away from an understanding of uh, from a concept of linear time 
and um, giving an impression. You didn't finish the whole thought, and so I was wondering if there was more that was there that wasn't expressed. It seemed like you were describing something about the kirtan, um, um, yeah, being not part of linear time, and then that the, these other religious sound, whether it's rajasic, sattvic, um, in the way it was could cultivate awareness of the self was very different than kirtan. Well, all I was saying is that um, the uh, you know the, the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's uh, Sankirtan um, is uh, I, w- I wouldn't uh, dismiss it you know too lightly as just another type of music for you know it could be any type. Um, it's not that it's the only way. Through which um, you know musical uh, medium, if you will, uh, coal and cartol, for example, that you could uh, engage in in in, in kirtan. <coughs> but um, at the same time, I wouldn't minimize it. I mean, um, it um, it is the form in which it it did manifest in the world. And and there's something I want to say. What I was saying to that, for example, um, it's a kind of a folk music. The instruments are very very simple. The clay merdunga is you know one of the simplest instruments, and the and the cartel. So, um, doesn't it's not ex- an expensive uh, musical you know venture, and um, the. Um, uh, it's not difficult comparatively, you know, to learn the the, the instruments, the cartol and the and merdanga, uh, compared to the sitar or, or or something like that. So there's you know, maybe classical Indian music. This is a kind of a folk genre. Hmm? If you go to Bengal and you listen to the kirtaniers and so forth, it's like local, you know, folk music minstrels. Uh, Guy, get on the train and you know melt your heart just singing with the ectar, you know, mm-hmm. you know, one stringed, you know, thing, um, uh, instrument, you know, handmade, kind of. So um, it's very down to earth. It's very close to the people. That's what I want to say. Um, classical music, uh, you know, whether it be Indian classical music, what's big of Western classical music, is create some distance between audience and the uh, and the uh, musicians. Mm-hmm. It creates some bond too, but you need more of a samskar to, it's more sophisticated, you need a samskar to appreciate it. Whereas the, the simple Bengali melodies of Mahaprabhu and his associates, it's very easy. To, it's very, it's very, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of like, uh, what would you call it? Like, um, you know, like feel good music, you know, with the melodies. They're very uplifting, they tend to be, and simple. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and given the call and response nature, of the kirtan, it's very participatory, so it involves people. Um, their their response, and that call and response is is like cyclical. It's back and forth. It's like how the world moves. 
it expands, it contracts, it expands, it contracts. We're born and we die and we're born again. And so it has that, you know, it's, it's, it kind of comes out of that, that conception. It, it, it's a particular thing, the call and response. It's, it, it's not like, you don't find it everywhere. I don't think it's really, in Western music, you don't, I don't think you have an example of, of that. Um, so it arises out of a culture that has inborn in it in the, in the people this sensibility without even thinking about it. it it's that life moves like this, cyclical time is cyclical. It's a huge aspect of the tradition. Linear time begins conceptions uh, begin with like Europe and, and Christianity. Um, and it's a very different kind of trajectory. You can see where it's gone. So uh, it has something to do with it, I should say. So, so you know, then you want to compare that to somebody was had remarked that they rather than such kirtan, they preferred the classical music, for example, of Beethoven or Bach or something like that, and playing the piano, and this was religious music, uh, uh, and that Western people could relate to it more readily. There are probably not very many people in the West that relate to Bach and Beethoven's music. It also is for classical. It takes a very sophisticated ear, sympathetic heart to sit and appreciate it, and, and so forth. It's, it's, it's very sophisticated, no doubt, but in general people are bebopping and hopping with feel-good <laughs> music, you know, uh, if, you, if you will. And um, and also, you know, by contrast, the the, the kirtan of Mahaprabhu's associates, Vasugosha's kirtan, is so down to earth, so high, but so down to earth, and so much connects with the you know with the earth, the drum, you know, with the people, the common people, and. Classical music doesn't, it's just completely different. I mean, you've got to sit back in the balcony, you know, and hear it from a distance. You can't really openly participate it in the same way. And then, then, then what is the conception of the Atma that arises out of, you know, Beethoven? Hmm? Um, you know, typically, what I've seen, at least in Christianity, at least based on the Bible, there is no clear... Um, distinction between consciousness, call it a soul, and matter. Hmm. Um, there are those within Christianity that hold a platonic, platonic type of view, which is more um, Eastern and um, corresponds more with this distinction between consciousness and matter. But the 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 um, but the uh, um, what's his name after Plato? Aristotelian uh, view of the soul is very mixed mixed up with with matter. You know, it's not it's not a, there's not a clear distinction. The Gita says that 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 distinction between matter and spirit that's not clear is is is, is rajasic. There's a conception of it. But it's not clearly distinguished. 
So we don't know, I don't know personally about Beethoven, whether he was platonic or Aristotelian, but if, if he was the latter, then you've got a music that's religious, but it's, but it's arising out of a Rajaguna conception of the self, which would be extend to uh, that of the Godhead and so forth. So, I, I, you know, all these things I think would, should be uh, taken into, into consideration. And, um, and Prabhupada said, if you learn Bengali metal melodies and basic instruments, then you can, you can uh, chant on the streets and people will throw money at you, he said. I mean, he had a sardayam, a sympathetic heart for that. So, it, it, you know, that, and that's another thing. I mean, to really hone that, and we had the opportunity, but uh, we weren't able to take advantage of it. One, one uh, devotee was uh, offered to come here and do a seminar on on the um, system and approach to the murdunga of. Um, what was it? Uh, I think Srinivasacharya. Was it Srinivasacharya and Narottam? They had two schools of of um, of um, of um, kirtan, and ours that you know is more leans towards that of Srinivas. He was going to come and do a seminar and teach that. Uh, I was going to come and do it for the fall. Yeah, so all the Madanga players and. He he told me said he, whether they're you know good or they don't know anything they could take advantage of his his um, seminar if you will so the, that uh, is a very rich uh, vein hmm? so before we go in another direction it might be nice to plumb the depths of that one and you know and uh, and see if we couldn't make some money hmm? <laughs> <laughs> have people throw money at us. <laughs> just, it's just by chanting, hmm? yeah, by kirtan. So I had this idea years and years ago um, when we were in, uh, uh, when I was a member of ISKCON, we, we used to go to Mayapur every prophet personally asked me to come to Mayapur and Vrindavan every year, spend one month with him. So I would like working all year to be able, you know, to do that, so to speak. Uh, it was um, kept me going um, in many respects. So. At any rate, there, there there was a there there was a fair amount of this um, kind of like um, power plays that were going on by the different leaders of different zones um, of their concern with regard to manpower and money. I wasn't involved with it, but you, you know, you, you, there was there was a fair amount of that going on. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. People needed to. They were managers, so you know, they were trading people, and you know, this and that and the other thing. And everybody wanted funding for their particular projects, which were all Prabhupada's projects. Hmm? Each one thought their project was more important than the other projects, you know. And so, you know, like to give you an example, one year, um, I think it was nineteen, it was nineteen seventy-three. Guru Kripa Swami and Yashodananda Swami, they came to America after being in India for some time, and they had learned all the songs of Bhaktivinoda, and, and they were really into kirtan. They came to Los Angeles. I was a brahmachari at the time, and they spent their little time and in, in, uh, associated with them, and they, their heart kirtans were very, very powerful. And, uh, and um, at the same time, they realized that Prabhupada wanted to build Mayapur and so forth, so... 
they um, they wanted to raise money for the projects. Hmm. So they kind of assessed the scene in America, and they figured I was a was a principal, you know, figure, because I had all these brahmacharis and brahmacharinis who were inspired by my uh, book distribution, who were then going out and they were raising lots and lots of money. So they kind of uh, tried to intimidate me um, when we went we went to Mayapur. Um, in uh, the beginning of 1974, you were there. And uh, I came there through Australia, where I had been sent, and I got there early before the festival, and they were there, and they were staying in a grass hut where Prabhupada originally stayed. So I stayed in the grass hut with them too. So they, that time they, they cornered me, and they said, we want a list of all the biggest book distributors, who they are, you know? So that when these brahmacharis would come, they would go and say, "You should join our party." You know, we're, we're sannyasis, and you know, they had this. Thing. So I was real worried about it because I thought they were going to deplete the whole, you know, team of book distributors. And um, then there was this fellow named Gopal Swami who was there, who just had just come from Japan, and um, he was telling me how it was easy to raise money in Japan. You would go like this, fold your hands. <laughs> And people would give money, and then they'd give them a back to Gaudi magazine. So when he told me that, I convinced Guru Kripa <laughs> and his Sodanandan Swamis, why don't you go to Japan? <laughs> and uh, they had passed through there, you know, and so that, and, uh, and I, you know, tried to like get out of it as best they could. Of course, then they wanted some men to go to Japan, you know. I avoided them as best they could, and, and they also couldn't intimidate me too much because. I was like, that was the year Prabhupada told me, you know, come every year. So, so they knew, like, I had a little bit of a special status, and they, they had to be careful. <laughs> but it's an example, right? And that, so that kind of thing was, was going on. And so, and then one of the things in that regard was that the Indian centers and the leaders of the Indian centers, who were usually Americans or Europeans, they used to have this thing like, if you really want to be a devotee, India is the place. You gotta serve in India. That's where you're really gonna get, you know, make advancement and so forth. So they had that whole thing. And it was an attraction. You could go to India and serve there and all the culture was supportive and so on and so forth. And so they would they would send their minions out, you know, and canvas amongst the Americans and Europeans who were sending their best men over and best women over you know, for the Mayapur festival, who had been their biggest distributors and most responsible devotees, to give them a spiritual vacation, if you will, in Mayapur, only to find out that their their own team was depleted <laughs> by this kind of propaganda. You know, and so they would be frustrated. So, so I was watching this. So I, I I made this suggestion that 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 let uh, you know. That, that uh, to um, to that the so that the Indian devotees, the, the devotees in charge of the Indian yatras, that they to compensate for what was invariably going to happen, they would supply kirtaniers and traditional cooks who would teach 
traditional kirtan and you know like Bangladeshi you know devotees who were kirtaneers by there was a, you know there was a bunch of them it's in their blood so to speak and cooks to come, they would come to the west and you know then there would be an, an exchange you know this man from Chicago Temple was trying to stay in India that you compensate by sin and we have this cultural exchange that would enrich the Americas in Europe with the you know more traditional uh, approaches and, and and make their refine if you will culturally their kirtan and 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 so on and so forth that was my uh, proposal it didn't go over too well but it was a, it was a good one but I did uh, canvas enough to give her there, there was a group that came of kirtaneers from uh, from they were from Bangladesh um, what's his name I forget uh, they eventually maybe they teamed up with Vyasaki a little bit or something uh, Krishna somebody maybe Krishna Das anyway they they, they did it they did a tour they were they're not active now um, I'll remember it as I'm pulling. <laughs> <laughs> and the drummer was Nityananda Das or something like that they were really good and uh, so they were uh, that I had really pushed for that kind of a thing so I think there's something to be said you know for that because um, you know a a tradition a philosophical tradition arising out of the culture uh, the culture is permeated with the, with the core philosophical ideas and their you know the, the, the movements the the social sensibilities whatever the, 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 the it, it arises you know it's connected it's all connected so um, I'm not you know I'm, I'm more of a you know, I'm not the kind of person that thinks that multiculturalism is a failed experiment. You know, I, I you know, I'm identifying with the planet, and these are different rooms in the house, and this is one of them. You know, and it's attractive, and uh, and so forth. So um, I'm a little bit like that. I like the culture, uh, the uh, um, and. Um, you know, in 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 a, in a way, I think it's um, it's uh, it has great uh, potential for being popular. You know, and it's it's its own right. There's always going to be some uh, some room for adaptation. You know, even if you go to Manipur, they've adapted it. You know, in Manipur, which is up near China, you know, Narads and Thakur went there, so you got all these Manipuri Vaishnavas. When they come to Vrindavan every year on pilgrimage or every few years is there. The Manipuris are in town, you know. They've got their own, somewhat their own kirtan style and so forth. Srup Damodar was a Manipuri. Srup Damodar, some of you know him. Gabra the Garza had passed away, who was close to property, was a scientist. And uh, so, um, you know, there is that um, inevitable kind of Merging with another culture, but but uh, there's there's much to preserve. I think that has value and is rich and and and, and serves to better uh, express the core philosophical ideas. Even um, you know, take your shoes off before you come in. You know, in the temple. You know, there's 
Like that's not Western, not a Western idea at all. But it, it's, well, oh wow, you know, it's like it, it, it lends to a certain. I'm in the temple. I take my shoes off here, right before you. I mean, it's a simple thing, but it's a cultural thing and um, an example of how including, preserving such things um, serves to create an environment that's conducive to entering into the essential ideas. Hmm. So just as, say, Rajasik... I mean, the language, all the books are written in, you know, Bengali or Sanskrit. I mean, you can learn Sanskrit, but all the, everything's been translated into Bengali, everything. Hmm. Commentaries. That's a... But I mean, a language is not just a language that, you know, you don't, you don't learn a language and totally independent of cultural sensibilities and so forth. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't work like that, so. You could if you're somebody whose name I won't mention, but yes. I have two questions. Gurmash, I was requested to ask you this question. What is, what is the secret to lasting Krishna consciousness? The secret to lasting yeah. in Krishna consciousness. And it was singular, so there must be one secret <laughs> to lasting Krishna consciousness. There must be one. I would say one would be sadhu sangha. Hmm. That is one, hmm. because it is the janma, it is the mool, the birth, the root, hmm. the seed hmm. of the baba that you will attain comes from sadhu sangha. So um, more of the same. You know, this is this is the fire, if you will, that by which the uh, the preparation will be gradually cooked. If you don't have the fire on, it's not going to be gradually cooked. So we can, especially in our early stages of our bhakti, we can make more progress by good sadhu sangha than we can by our own practice. Hmm? We're in the proximity of, in a, in a company of, much more intensified. Practice. If, if we're in a company of practice that, or expressions of the things that we do, hearing and chanting, that is arising out of spiritual emotion rather than a, just a function of the senses, which is sadhana bhakti, and, and being participating in such hearing and chanting that is arising out of spiritual emotion is going to have create some scars for us, which to, which will make which is going to make us. Programmed, so to speak, uh, to to function in, in relation to sadhana, to be drawn. So it's very powerful, hmm? and um, and it doesn't it doesn't seem to end uh, either. Therefore, you have the uh, example of Narutam Thakur says, "I'm beating my head against the stone. How could I go on?" And he's a Mahabhagavata. Well, because Rupa has, Sanatana have left, uh, Raghunath Das, Raghunath, you know, they've departed, Krishna has come. What will become of me? I think it was Ramananda Ma- Roy who told Mahabharata the most painful thing in the world is, is uh, the... the suffering, what did he say? Yeah, there's no suffering other than separation from devotees. It's the suffering of, of great devotees. So it's a continuum, you know, from beginning to end and never ending. Hmm? Krishna consciousness is not, you know, some like individual pursuit in one sense. 
that's why we say we don't progress in bhakti by vairagya. Vairagya is a result of our progress. But rather we progress by sangha, which is the opposite. Vairagya in ordinary sense means giving up, and sangha means adding to. So, um, and there's, and then in general, there's strength, of course, in numbers as well. Therefore, communities of devotees that will very much help us to sustain if we're not in a community of devotees and, and of like-minded devotees. So, then you know we, we're um, at a great disadvantage. So, my second question: In French, we say the means are. Are justified by the end. The, res- the, the means are justified by the result. Is everything acceptable in Krishna consciousness? Mm-hmm. When there's, I'm just going to give you an example from real life. It's a very petty example, but for example, devotees raising money for orphans when they're just giving it to the temple, for example. Is that acceptable when it's for Krishna's service, but ethically it's like borderline? Right, so you're asking a question, does the means always justify the ends? Typically, the means don't always justify the ends um, in general. Now, is that different with regard to Krishna consciousness? Do the means justify the ends? Well, really, in Krishna consciousness, the means and the ends are alike. There is no difference between the means and the ends. So, the, the way, the, the, you know, the, the, the journey, the destination is the journey. You know, so, the, what sadhana you do, you do will determine your, your sadhya. There may be instances where great devotees in emergency situations do something extraordinary, and they have great power um, to do that. I gave the example the other day, we were talking about one of the alwars who built a temple by engaging dacoits because nobody else was willing to help him. And he promised them some payment, you know, for their work once the temple was built, something like that. And so they came for their payment. And so he said, I'll pay you in the middle of the, you know, ocean or something like that. So, you know, so he thought it was a weird, so okay, they got on the boat. They rowed out there with him, uh, something like that, the story goes, at a certain distance. And then... Um, then he threw away the oars and he walked back. And they were left out to sea with no way back, the dacoids. So if you can walk on water, you can do anything. <laughs> but if you can't walk on water, then then we we you know then we should have a means that uh, that are holy bhakti, so to speak, and correspond with the with the with the end result. Um, so we shouldn't make exceptions um, the rule. Um, and um, I guess your example is one of not being truthful or something like that, deceiving people, asking for a donation for orphans and giving it to build a temple. It's probably not, you know, a good thing to do, but uh, it might create a tendency in someone to be dis- dishonest. Really, you should be honest people, follow the laws, and so forth, and set an example for others. Um, 
in the, in the early days of ISKCON, Prabhupada was um, orchestrating you know, a what was I would say conducting a uh, emergency type of situation approach. I likened the um, outreach that it, that it was largely um, book sales. Um, to kind of a spiritual terrorism because we would be really quite aggressive to approach people and you know, offer them the book and and so forth. It wasn't like they were going to a bookstore to buy a book, you know, and interested. And we kind of like created some interest as best we could, you know, and um, took their money and, and gave it to Prabhupada. I mean, I used to live out of a bag like this. I put my clothes in it, go to the next temple, take them out, fill it with books, go out, Come back with full of money, hmm? send all the money to the book fund, and start over again. You know, that was my routine basically. Well, not exactly literally, but I mean that's what we were doing. I mean, I literally did a little out of a bag like this, and and filled it up with books and filled it up with money, um, and so and we weren't taking any for ourselves. I had this really endearing experience was because we were in the Chicago Temple and I had started my book distribution party, which is kind of independent. And we sent every single penny to the book fund. I mean, every I wouldn't let them spend anything on ourselves. And then the devotees who were with me, um, some godbrothers, a couple godbrothers of mine, there were three of them, um, they, one of them was, was, was Gunapati Swami, some of you may know him, and he was the he was the um, accountant for our party, so he had. I gave him all the money. We come home at night, dump all the money in a pot in a, in a, in a cloth, and separate it all out, coins and dollars. And we 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 didn't we didn't count who did what. We dumped it all in as unison, so that no individual, you know, would be get proud that they had collected more than anybody else. And then Ganapati Marsh was a brahmachari at the time, and he would he would uh, do the accounting, would send all the money to the BBT, and so um, one one day they came to me, and uh, I guess it was brought to my attention by somebody that that our party of book distributors who was at that time staying at the Chicago Temple had bought new silver plates for the deity, Kishor uh, Kishori. So I knew that came out of the book fund money. I mean, that's a spiritual thing, you know, to buy plates for the deities. But he didn't ask my permission, and my thing was to send all the money to Prabhupada, which is how I thought of it, you know, directly for the book printing. Hmm? So I wasn't against the idea, but I was a little upset by it at the same time, because it wasn't talked about with me and so forth. And, and then they... <laughs> And they said, well, here's why we did it. And they pulled out the old plates. I said, because we wanted to give these to you. <laughs> so it was kind of a heart melting. You know, that's how they felt. You know, they wanted, yeah, so I was a brahmachari too at the time. You know, but we had that kind of, so it was very, I wept, you know, to, to, to see their uh, soft hearts. Um, but... Um, point I was making with these were like emergency times and Prabhupada said things like any publicity is good publicity so I liken it to kind of a spiritual terrorism there was a time when 
For example, the, the Palestinians, the PLO, Yasser Arafat, was the biggest terrorist. Um, and um, so he did all kind of, committed all kinds of atrocities with a view to get attention. So that in the context of being condemned and being in the newspapers and so forth, he could say, make some point as to the plight of the Palestinians as he understood it. And over time, I mean, I'm not, I don't condemn, you know, condone terrorism, but over time he was successful and the Yasser Arafat eventually became a politician, you know, and he was invited to different places. And some places he was still shunned because of his terrorist background and so forth. But it was an emergency condition. No one was listening to, as he understood it, the plight of the Palestinians. And so he took tactics to get any publicity was good publicity. Hmm? And, um, and so Prabhupada had that kind of a policy also with regard to Krishna consciousness and spreading it in America. But these were very extraordinary circumstances. And his sense of emergency and his sense of any publicity is good publicity did kind of filter down to us. And we tried to fulfill, you know, his ambition to see the book circulated with our limited abilities and so on and so forth. And I think we did things at times that I wouldn't recommend doing now. And conditions have changed and it's not an emergency and so to speak, and there's a time now for the devotees to have a different, you know, uh, and a terrorist uh, profile, if you will, um, and to sustain their temples on the basis of who they are. Hmm? Clearly their philosophy and their um, their uh, conduct, hmm? and, uh, and get hopefully people to buy books based on interest in the subject uh, um, more directly <laughs> I guess we would say you know where are you from you know he says oh, you just got back from you know Vietnam so, well it's, it's a book about battle right here you know? <laughs> so, uh, check it out you know <laughs> we go a little further than that you know but uh I personally was only involved in the book distribution. Later, it, it kind of deteriorated in some kind of money-raising things with different types of schemes and so forth. I wasn't involved in that. But anyway, I, I understand. That I, I think it's a little past, you know, doing those kind of things. Uh, and the great general who can call for emergency times, you know, I would say is, isn't uh, present breaking new ground, and so it's a different, you know, the work is immense it's still at this time, and we're blessed that Prabhupada left some work for us to do, but it's different also than than his work, in, in a sense. Um, does that help? Yeah, yeah. Um, Jiva Goswami said in the Sandarbhas, I think Bhakti Sandarbha, that uh, one devotee should, you know, be maintained by activities that are morally um, you know correct as well um, so yeah we don't abuse there's the capital G good and the small G good as I say sometimes there's the moral realm and then there's the absolute in the absolute realm everything's turned around so Krishna can be with the gopis and we can't you know <laughs> uh, within the realm of the relative good or even in pursuit of the ultimate good um, because it's about taking all the selfishness out, um, if you will. So, um, you 
you know, so, um, anyway, so there's a place where they, and they, they come to come together. There may be some circumstances where the, the absolute good in pursuance crosses over the, uh, the, the small g good, and, but those are exceptions. All right, well, nice to be with all of you. We we'll stop there. Sri Sri Gorada Madhavaki Jai, Gor Bhakta Vrindaki Jai, Gor Premanam, Vanchakalpaturudhis Jai, 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 J